0: to record this message somewhere with a nice view. Uh, the weather, unfortunately, has driven me back inside. Uh, maybe that's not too bad a thing. It's a pretty wet and miserable day out there. Weather's one of those things. Nature is one of those things, isn't it? That we, uh, we can try to overcome and tame somewhat. But the... Uh, the moment we let down our guard, or the moment we stop trying to cultivate a safe environment, nature seems to take its own course and reclaims what we have gained. Maybe you've experienced that, maybe you've been to some old ruins somewhere and seen the way that where there was once a thriving and maybe even bustling civilization once people left nature seemed to once again reclaim in fact one of my regrets um, is I have an older sister who lives in Cambodia not very far from where she lives are some very famous ruins and of course I would have loved to have gone and seen my sister but I would have also loved to have walked around those ruins. Maybe one day I'll get the chance. But when you visit places like that, you you are confronted with the, uh, the unrelenting force of nature in reclaiming any gain that we feel, any progress that we feel that we've made as a civilization. To a certain degree, I think that's probably going to help us understand what Solomon has to say in the passage that we're looking at today. Um, He's going to address some topics which are real hot points, to put it mildly, in our current climate, our current political climate, our current social climate. Uh, There are massive upheavals happening in our world and not only because of the impact that we're feeling of the coronavirus, both as we saw the initial impact in waves and coming to terms with what this meant, but now the ongoing effect that it has on our lives and the continual reminder as we see the wave after wave, not only in Australia, but around the world, um, as where we thought that we'd got on top of things a little bit and and we started to relax and feel like this was uh, somewhat normal for us again as we address life and then all of a sudden we're reminded just how frail we actually are. But there are other huge social upheavals happening in our world at this point in time. Over the last few months, it's just been... Saddening is probably the best way to explain how I've felt. As we've seen the voices of the oppressed rising up, seeking a hearing, as we've seen the political fallout from those in power addressing areas of social injustice, And of course, we're not immune from it within the church as we've heard various sides of the argument and people airing their opinions broadcasted loudly over social media. We're living in a world which is desperately crying out that something is wrong. And into that world, I want to address the next part of the book of Ecclesiastes, That Solomon tells us that this problem that we're seeing now is not a new problem. It's always been around. We need God's help. So let's pray. Lord, help me to speak clearly. Help me to speak truthfully. Help us all to listen with open ears and an open heart to receive what you might have to say. We need your help, Lord. Amen. One of the apparent problems, I think, with the book of Ecclesiastes is that we may read it and conclude that everything is meaningless. Therefore, there's no point in life, right? Um, Chapter 3 and verse 15 says, whatever is, has already been, and whatever will be, already is. So why bother? Okay, That's one question that we could come up with some people may read solomon's reflections on life and i think mistakenly conclu- conclude at least that he's uh, advocating some type of well some type of fatalism that we have no control over this world no control over life so therefore just sit back and who cares that we should embrace the futility of life and just give up i don't think solomon's doing that Instead, he's helping us to see the futility, yes, but not of life, but the futility of putting our confidence in the wrong places. So when our eyes have been opened up to the emptiness of materialism, say, which we've looked at, or maybe our reputation, who we are in the world and what people think of us, when when our eyes have been opened up to the emptiness of those things, we begin to ask some pretty fundamental questions about the purpose of life and about uh, the significance of this world even. And eventually we begin to ask questions like, if this world is so empty, how can I make it a better place? How can I make this world a better place? Maybe you've asked that. I know I have. I think this is probably the most fundamental question that drives two of the most powerful forces at work in our world, particularly in our current social climate at least. In fact, it's been like that since the dawn of civilization. The two primary ways we try to make our world a better place are through. Policy and protest. Some of us gravitate towards policy. We dive in deep to the political solution for our world's problems. The belief here is that we can, well, we can legislate a better life. We can legislate a better place. We can legislate a better society. We can legislate a better world. Maybe, maybe you don't have the desire or maybe even the capacity to run for office yourself. Maybe you don't want to get into local politics or state politics or national politics. You can't ever see yourself being the next Prime Minister of Australia maybe, but but we can still place all our hopes and all our Energy into ensuring that our government seats are filled with just the right type of people to ensure that this world will advance in fairness and equality, dignity and justice. We can pursue politics. But some of us are protesters, right? We gravitate towards issues of social justice. We've become maybe disillusioned with the rhetoric of politics. We prefer the affirmative action of feet on the ground actually doing something. We protest where injustice is found. We champion good causes. We try to give a voice to those who we perceive as not having one. And we're convinced that the world will be a better place if we can expose those who exploit the weak and lift up those who have been trod down. Now, as a Christian, whether I'm convinced that politics is the answer or protest, my confidence is rooted in the fact that I believe that my approach, whichever it is, mirrors God's approach. Those who have invested in politics do so because they believe that that is how God is ordering his kingdom. And those who are invested in protest do so because they see that that is how Jesus lived and taught his followers to carry on. The irony, of course, is that both of these groups, who are convinced that they are following after God's ways, are often standing in opposition to one another. We've seen that in recent times unfolding. Those who believe legislation and politics is the answer, those who believe protests are the answer, And there have been vicious battles between even groups of Christians over the myriad of subtle issues and complexities around social justice. Even to the point that that word alone, that phrase alone is polarizing great groups of people. We both want the world to be a better place. But we think the other group of people have it terribly wrong. So this leads us to, a, I think, a few important questions that we need to ask. Here's the first one. Question one. Does God care about making the world a better place? I guess we need to ask ourselves, do we have it all wrong? I mean, regardless of politics or protests, are we pursuing the wrong things? Does God even care about making this world a better place? Well, I don't think that you have to go to your favorite coffee cup verse to answer that question. So you can quickly put down your uh, Micah 6-8 mug if you like. We can answer that question from the text that we've got in front of us. Open your Bibles, make sure they're sitting open in front of you. I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is where we were last week. Remember, we addressed sort of that very famous poem about seasons and, or occasions and, and the right time for everything. We heard Solomon's reflections on that. We finished that passage at verse 15, but I, I didn't really comment on it. This is what it says in the Christian Standard Bible, Ecclesiastes 3 and 15. Whatever is, has already been, and whatever will be, already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. That's how the Christian Standard Bible addresses that. Uh, This is the verse that we we finished on last week, and as I said, I, I didn't really comment on it then. And the first part of that verse is quite clear, right? It, it's a, it simply reinforces what Solomon's been saying all along so far in this book. And it's also a statement that may lead you to believe that we should embrace fatalism. Or whatever has been is that we can't change anything, right? But it's the last part of the verse that's intriguing. Uh, Bible scholars have been debating and discussing the meaning of the Hebrew in this little phrase... You know, I don't know when they began doing it, but it's been a long time. The, the literal Hebrew words just say God seeks what is pursued, if, if my reading is right. God seeks what is pursued, and translators and and scholars have been trying to figure out what Solomon meant by God seeks what is pursued. And the conclusion that I think makes the most sense of the of the context of this wider passage. Um, probably sits in line with where the translators of the Christian Standard Bible ended up um, and what they ran with, uh, that God is concerned for, um, he seeks out, he, he pursues this, he's concerned for those who are oppressed, those who are being pursued, those who have been uh, trod down, and, and he's concerned for them, and he's, he pursues them, he seeks them. Those who are oppressed or persecuted. God wants the best for people, especially those who aren't experiencing it. Now, before you start quoting Joel Osteen at me or telling me uh, that, you know, he was right when he said that you can live your best life now, um, that guy's a. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, that's a dangerous position to take. And if if you're a Christian, be very cautious of anyone who comes along and says that, listen, God wants you to live your best life now and all you need to do is claim it. We need to keep asking questions of the text because I don't think that's where Solomon goes. Even though he's just said God pursues... Justice for the oppressed. He wants them to live this life where they can seek justice and know what it means to live in this world the way that God has ordered it. We need to keep asking questions of the text because Solomon is going to, I think, confront us with this desire. So question two that we need to ask, how well have we as humanity been implementing God's desires. If God's desire is for the oppressed, if, if God's pursuit is for those who are, um, need justice and need to have a voice and need to be lifted up, how well have we been implementing that? What has been the fruit of history's pursuit of politics and justice? How well have we mirrored God's heart? in these areas how are we really doing here's how Solomon is going to help us think clearly about how we answer because of course if you're a person who pursues politics you're able to point to a whole range of different political systems and say listen look how far we've come And if you're a a protester, someone who loves justice and seeks justice, you're able to say, well, look, look at the sort of society that we live in. Look at how far we've come. I'm not sure if you're a person who's more invested in politics or if you're a person who's more invested in protest. But I believe Solomon has some sobering words for all of us to hear. He basically says that all our efforts at either politics or protest have largely been meaningless. Our best efforts at legislating a better world have fallen embarrassingly short. And our best efforts at protest Seem to be playing on a broken record. Now, quite a number of the people listening to this will know what I mean by broken record. Many of you will not. It's a phrase which denotes the fact that sometimes we get caught in a loop. Where there's some type of fault. And that fault resets us back. And we loop back around again. It's where we seem to be making progress and then we hit another crisis and it's revealed just how little ground we've actually gained. Have a look at Ecclesiastes 3. Read with me from verses 16 and just verse 17. It says this, I also observed under the sun, there is wickedness at the place of judgment and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work. Look, all our attempts to improve through policy and protest are sabotaged by our own corruption. The governments of the so-called leading nations of this world, they appear to be little more than pantomimes to amuse amuse selfish children and our social justice efforts are divided into tribes that are willing to burn each other to the ground don't get me wrong i am glad that we have a prime minister here in australia who has an active faith in god and we should be committed to praying for him and honoring him regardless of which party you voted for at the last election But Scott Morrison is not our nation's saviour. Nor were the previous Prime Ministers who all stabbed each other in the back to gain our nation's highest seat. And nor will any other that follows Mr Morrison into office. Or, Or that mission that you support, that cause that you joined, that march that you attended that profile picture that you change for the month of July to indicate your support. None of those things will be the saviour of this world. Are they important causes? I'm sure they are. Are they making a difference in a real person's life somewhere? Probably. But Corruption and greed know no bounds. And they've stretched their filthy fingers even there. That's what Solomon is trying to get us to see. It's why he says in Ecclesiastes 4 and 1, go down and have a look at that, Ecclesiastes 4 and 1, he says, again, I observe all the acts of oppression being done under the sun. Look at the tears of those who are oppressed. They have no one to comfort them. Power is with those who oppress them. They have no one to comfort them. Or Ecclesiastes 5. Go and have a look at Ecclesiastes 5 verses 8 and 9. It says, If you see oppression of the poor and perversion of justice and righteousness in the province... Don't be astounded at the situation because one official protects another official and higher officials protect them. The profit from the land is taken by all, and the king is served by the field. Solomon is trying to help us grasp something. He's he's wrestling the blinkers from our eyes to see the reality of our situation. You see, we've we've sold out to a cause. We've sold out to a, a leader and we've said, this is our hope. This leader, this political system, this is our hope. Or this cause, this justice that is our hope if we can just get that sorted everything will be better and Solomon says no it won't it won't it's not your savior go back and have a look at chapter 3 verses 18 to 22 he says I said to myself this happens So that God may test the children of Adam and they may see for themselves that they are like animals. For the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is so futile. All are going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Who knows if the spirit of the children of Adam go upwards and the spirit of animals go downward to the earth? I've seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? His basic observation is that no matter what we try, politics or protest, the outcome remains the same. For all our progress, we haven't really made much ground. All our efforts have left us in the same place. Solomon asserts that our attempts to make the world a better place are futile. Leads us to a third question. So what do we do? Where does this leave us? Should we just accept fatalism and give in to the notion that nothing we do makes a difference? So why bother at all? Or should we try harder? Redoubling our efforts to reform the generation of reformers that have come before us. Should we look for a better leader or a better cause? I think the overwhelming purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes is to help us to be honest with ourselves. It hurts to see our failures, it leaves a deep ache within us to be confronted with our own shortcomings. And Solomon is ruthless in peeling back the scab on humanity to reveal the soft underbelly of our existence. Solomon is the boy who repeatedly cries out from the crowd that the emperor has no clothes on. And as, as we learn to hear his voice and to heed his voice, we, we have to come to terms with the fact that we've been pretending to play dress-ups while all the while we've been parading our nakedness for all to see. Ecclesiastes reveals the ache within for a better king and a more righteous justice. Solomon ruled over the nation of Israel in probably its most prosperous Era and most influential state. And while his, his dad, his father, David, well, he remains the standard of kingship by which all other kings have been measured against. And yet here in these chapters, Solomon himself is pointing us to our need for one who is greater. Isaiah, the prophet, he does the same. But he does it a little more explicitly when he says this in Isaiah chapter 9, starting from verse 6. He promises both a better king and a righteous judge. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal father, prince of peace, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. In Jesus, we find the better king that we've been yearning for. And in Jesus, we find the greater judge who acts with righteous justice. Even as Solomon reminds us in the closing verses of this book, Ecclesiastes 12 verses 13 and 14 say this, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, Fear God. And keep his commands because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil.
1: bible is not a series of disconnected stories it is a single narrative in which every story every character points beyond itself to one who is greater the story of adam and eve is not just about the first man and woman there is a true and better adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac, the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person. Jesus.